Hey, everybody. So let's have a podcast today, but let's talk about something a little different. Let's kind of start with the idea of the difference between the word acute and the word chronic. Guten Morgen. Hi, everybody. It's the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin, your host for today. And uh, today is a really interesting day, at least I think. Uh, I don't know if you're going to think the same thing or, uh, at, at all, but at least I think. And it has to do with the fact that I was reminded of something I did, oh, geez, maybe 10 years ago, Man, maybe even longer ago, maybe maybe even 15 years ago. It was a little project I took on, and I was reminded of it. A, a friend of mine recalled it and then actually translated that idea into another idea, which led to me thinking about it for a really long time on a recent bicycle ride upon a bicycle which I was riding. And so I started thinking about it a long time. I don't know if you guys ride bicycles ever, but it's the weirdest thing. I I think you sort of get better clarity of thought. I don't know why. I mean, that's probably a different podcast topic. But all of this came together in um in what I think is a very interesting conversation. It is certainly the perfect conversation for this time of year. It's the time of year, at least in North America, for those of us in the United States and Canada, the, the North Americans, where we're sort of it's it's gonna it's the apex of summer, and it's just been the strangest freaking time. I mean, it just it's it's just been a strange time. If you'd have told me, you know, a year ago, you're gonna be trapped in your house for more than a year. I think I would have told you I, I, I wouldn't have survived it. I mean, it's I, it's it's almost beyond my imagination. It's unfathomable, but also I don't I don't think I would have thought I could made it through, and and I did, I did make it through, and 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 that's an interesting part of the introduction of what I want to talk about with you guys today, and so today's discussion. Is just for us. It's it's a little private discussion, and I think mostly what I'd like to know is what you think about this discussion. Now, you don't have to. I mean, don't feel like you're obliged to do anything. It seems weird. Um, I don't think that podcasts ask much of us other than to listen and think. But in this case, this idea that a friend of mine reminded me I had, and, and I did quite an experiment on it. I mean, I did an experiment for almost a whole year. And then this friend reminded me how important that idea was now and how remarkable this transition is for everybody as we move into this next step of whatever it is we live in. Because I, 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 you, you can probably tell I'm trying not to use the word go back to normal because I don't think that's the case. I'm not even sure I want to go back to normal, and I'm not sure that normal was that satisfying. But as we move ahead, as we bounce forward, a phrase I've been using for 18 months, what does that mean to us? And how does that make a difference to what we think about? And so that's going to be the podcast. That's that's really what we're going to talk about. 
And I want to try to get into it in in a way that does two things. One, it, it challenges you to maybe think about this experiment that I did. And maybe even if you get a wild hair, um, to try it. Because I think it's definitely worth trying. doesn't cost you nothing. makes you feel good. So that's those, those are two really important um, entry points that I always kind of leverage on. But secondly, I'd be curious to know what you're thinking and what the future looks like for you. Because I bet you're like me. It, it, this idea that we were sort of quarantined, not sort of quarantined, we were quarantined, and that out of it we probably grew. And and the time wasn't lost. Being trapped, being quarantined, it wasn't lost. We didn't lose that time. In fact, I think in many ways it caused us to do some learning about ourselves. And that self-reflection, that self-learning, I actually think that's pretty meaningful. And I think that's a really important thing for us to chat about. So that is kind of the beginning of what we're going to talk about. Let's transition into it and see what you guys think. And I'll pick up on the introduction, and maybe maybe this will be uh, an incredible opportunity for us all. Or not. I mean, there's always that side, too. If not, we just had a good time chatting, and you'll get to hear some ideas and a little report out on what I thought. So until then, let's see if we can have this discussion about where we are. Let's learn and think out loud and see what happens. Okay, so I started with this idea of the difference between acute and chronic. And I'm pretty sure your hackles got hackled up because you thought, oh, no, what's he, is he going to talk about medicine stuff? Is this going to be all doctory? Is Are we going to talk about doctor junk? No, no, I'm not going to talk about medicine stuff. I'm not going to talk. There's a lot of people on the podcast that are way better at talking about medicine stuff than I am. A lot of people, a lot of you guys listen. I mean, you're experts. And so probably most people understand the difference between acute and chronic. I think of it this way. Acute is immediate. Like right now, uh, big deal. Whoa, it's acute. And chronic is long-term, kind of slow burn. It's it's around a long, long time. You're in for the long haul. And the reason I brought that up is because I think the topic that we want to talk about today really has to do with how we, you and I, we, not our organizations, not the people that work with us, although they certainly are included in this, but how you and I handle risk. And one of the things that I think is most interesting is that human beings, to a great extent, are designed pretty well around this notion of risk. At least risk in the acute sense. The whole fight or flight idea, the reptilian brain, we could talk in great detail about the brain physics, or brain physiology, sorry, not physics, what kind of brain physics, the brain physiology of how human beings are developed. When something happens, when we sense risk, then we immediately move to this fight or flight. You know, if, if we're going to have to defend ourselves, we fight to hold our ground. We, we take a, a aggressive stance. We become offensive and sometimes offensive, <laughs> just speaking entirely myself. And we actually fight for whatever the risk perceived in front of us is. If the sense of flight is important, like if I see a snake on my front porch, a cobra, uh, curled up into a cobra ball on the front porch of my house, the tendency there is probably going to be flight. I'm probably going to try to get away from it as fast as I possibly can. And so that idea of managing risk and 
its relationship to adrenaline and human physiology, that's pretty well known and incredibly well studied. And there are lots of people that can talk to us about it uh, in, in great detail. But for the most part, and forgive me if I'm making some assumptions, I'm going to guess you kind of get this because you live in your head. You experience being a human being every day. You're kind of good at it. You've been doing it a long time. You understand this fight or flight thing. And, and so this idea of immediate acute risk, we're really pretty hardwired, biologically hardwired to handle that pretty effectively. And, and, and we do. The challenge becomes when risk becomes chronic, like during a pandemic. And you're constantly barraged day in and day out, day in and day out. And what happened is the adrenaline that normally helps you manage and understand your posture towards some kind of risk, right? That adrenaline either becomes long-term, you're stressed out all the damn time, or you sort of normalize to that new level of risk. And in that normalization to that new level of risk, what happens is, is that in my experience, you become somewhat adverse to taking action. So fight, flight, or freeze, paralyze, hold in place. Think about it. I mean, you're, you're probably better than I am in discussing this. And again, these theories are out there. It's not like I'm making this crap up. It's been around a long time. But I actually think the the chronic long-term exposure to risk of all types, not just the risk of the pandemic, but the political risk, the sociological risk, the, the independence risk, the workplace security risk, they're all really a big part of what we want to talk about. And if you think about this kind of in a Maslowian way, so Abraham Maslow, the hierarchy of needs, you know, his whole premise with the hierarchy of needs is that you never take care of the need above until you take care of the need below. So if you remember the hierarchy of needs, it's a pyramid, and you know how I hate to draw pyramids, but it kind of starts with the basic human needs like oxygen and air. And once those needs are taken care of, then you can actually go to the next level, which Maslow kind of encapsulizes as safety and security, um, big S safety, big S security, right? And, and then once that's taken care of, then there's the relational needs that you can be a part of, then the familial needs that you be a part of, and then he tops it off with the notion of self-actualization. And the premise around that is that it doesn't really matter if you're in love, if there's no air to breathe. You're going to solve for the most basic need first, right? And so that Maslowian understanding, and that actually, that phenomenon is called prepotency, uh, prepotency of need. That notion of Abraham Maslow and survivability and the needs we have as human beings, which has been around a good long time, that probably helps us understand to a great extent, and maybe frame for this discussion, this idea of chronic exposure to risk. That after a while, if that risk doesn't go away, it almost stops development, or it has the potential to stop development. In fact, without some kind of intervention, without some kind of a dramatic jerk 
out of your funk, boom, it, you're sort of trapped in this area where, in fact, you could become somewhat um, uh, uh, frozen. That's probably the best word because you're sort of frozen. And, and, and to an extent, that's what we're seeing. As people come back into the workplace and as people go back to concerts and movies and restaurants and, and back on travel to conferences, right, all of these things seem really bizarre. And there's a tendency to sort of think, well, do I really need to do, do I really want, am I comfortable? Am I comfortable doing this? Is this a good thing for me to, am I actually making a mistake by going out of the house or going to a meeting or is going back to work going to be comfortable? And all of us to some extent are dealing with that no matter where we are around the globe. And and I actually think that phenomenon will be ripe with potential study. And lots of people are going to think about this a long time. And it's influenced how we do our work, too, because we have workers who never left, right? But they were left with a workplace that was much less full of other people. And so they normalized to kind of a new world. And then we have workers who were gone and have been gone a long time and may never even come back to the office. And they're normalized to a whole different world. And my premise has been that this has influenced the way we think about managing risk. And that actually started the discussion with a friend of mine who said, hey, Todd, do you remember, oh, several years back when you did the great experiment? And I said, which great experiment? Was it when I tried to actually replicate Reese Cup candies in my own kitchen because that was really incredible? Or was it the time I learned how to make Butterfingers? And if you guys don't know what Butterfinger candy is, um, it's a really good candy that I like a lot. But it was purchased recently and they changed the recipe. And so I wanted to make the old Butterfinger because the inside of the old Butterfinger is better than the inside of the new Butterfinger. And eventually, I'm just not bragging, I'm actually owning this. I cracked the code. Me and about 20 different YouTube videos, but I learned to make them. But that wasn't the experiment at all. In fact, that wasn't what my friend was asking me about at all. So I said, well, which one? Which experiment are you thinking about? And my friend said, didn't you do a whole year where you always said yes? And I said, yeah, I, I did do that. That was that was really a cool year. I mean, that was that was super interesting. It was so much different than I thought it would be. And I really enjoyed it. And it changed me to a great extent. And my friend said, well, I actually think that right now, this idea of saying yes, defaulting to yes, is maybe a very powerful way to help people transition into a world where we interface with one another again in public or go into the office, or go to meetings, or shop at a store, or whatever it is you do. And I started thinking about that. This experiment was really interesting, because what I just decided, it was kind of a New Year's resolution. I I think I've actually talked about it on the podcast before, but I just decided that if ever given the opportunity, I would always answer yes, unless it caused physical danger to me or other people unless it was morally questionable or unless it was a crime, I would answer yes. 
So if people said, do you, you want to do this? I would have to say yes, at least for one year. I mean, that was the deal I made because it, it, it didn't break a crime. It didn't, um, it wasn't morally questionable. Nobody got hurt, right? And so if it met that test, then I was going to default to yes. And I did this, I think, because, well, one, I wanted to try it. I, I just wanted to try it. But two is I, I thought it'd be a really interesting experiment because I actually thought that it would be hard to do. It would it'd be a challenge. It would be developmentally um, a challenge for me, and I would I would really grow a lot in doing it. And, and I did grow, no question about it. I absolutely grew, but it wasn't hard. In fact, the more I got into defaulting to yes, the more fun it got, and the more interesting it got. And the braver, is that a word? Gutsier, braver, bolder, I got. And the more things I got to experience. And and what's amazing is when you default to yes, then you do things and take opportunities that you might otherwise have to think about. And in the process of thinking about them, you might sort of talk yourself out of them. Because if you remember this rule... A body at rest stays at rest. A body in motion stays in motion. Defaulting to yes actually breaks this idea of the body at rest. Because once you're home, I'm home, we just had dinner, I got my feet up, I'm just, I'm relaxing, I don't really want to go listen to the speaker at the uh, complexity conference in Santa Fe. I don't want to go to hear... Uh, Apprentice Night at the Opera. I don't want to go to that movie. I'm not interested in that movie. I don't really want to drive to Houston because that's a really far way to drive, right? I don't really want to go sit in the lawn because then at some point I have to get back up, and that's right. And you can always sort of imagine reasons to not do something unless you sort of take away that reason. And so I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I'm just, everything people say, I'm just going to say yes. And what's amazing is that I did things, saw things, enjoyed things, experienced things, and met people that I don't think I would have met normally. And I had a great time, and it got easier. And it got more fun. And the weirdest thing is, you guys, is I didn't really lose my time at home to relax or my time to hang out and watch TV. I still got plenty of that crap done, but I actually forged into places and did things and had experiences that I wouldn't have had. And so this friend was, was pushing me on this idea and he said, I think that's really helpful. And I said, well, what brings all this up? And he said, well, I invited my dad actually to go on a train trip with me and he went and we had an amazing time. And I said, that's great. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. It's always fun to travel by train. I bet it was really interesting, and he talked lots about the trip. And then he said, one of the things that actually made me bring this up to you is I asked my dad why he went with me. Why would you come on this trip with me, Dad? And his dad said to him, I don't ever say no to an opportunity. And his son said, well, why? And he said, because I'm at an age now where I'm not sure there'll be many more of these opportunities. And I don't want to miss one just because I said no. And I thought, wow, that's, that's super sweet. 
and touching, right? I mean, that's a really interesting thing, and and, and I bet it was a really important moment. I, I know it was a really important moment for my friend, but but then he looked at me and he said, it, it made me think of the year you said yes. And I said, well, wow, first of all, I'm touched and honored. Oh, my goodness. I mean, wow, to even be in the same thought as that story is amazing. Um, but I sort of forgotten about that year I said yes. And he said, now that people are kind of freaking out because the world's trying really hard to reopen and we're trying to sort of get back to normal, right? Even though I don't think that's possible nor even desirable. He said, maybe what we ought to do is take a period of time and really talk about this idea of defaulting to yes, going to the movie you're not that interested in or going to the concert that means you have to get up and oh, we're going to get home late and we got to park and where are we going to park, right? Or having that, or going on that train trip with your son. And this idea of defaulting to yes is pretty remarkable because it doesn't cost anything. I mean, it, it really doesn't. I mean, maybe there's some psychological costs. Thank you, Amy Edmondson, right? Maybe there's physical costs because they don't let you into the movie for free. Um, unless you sneak in, and that is a complete different podcast that we'll have to talk about later, right? But in fact, the risk is in not staying where you're safe. The risk emotionally is in doing something that takes you out of what has been your cocoon, your comfort zone, for the last 18 months. And I'm fully aware that many of you are ready to go now and you're done, and you've spent enough time, and you're ready, let's go, let's go, let's go. But for those of us who aren't that way, maybe this is a year when we say yes. Because it does actually allow us a strategy for this long-term chronic exposure to risk. It allows us a default. We're going to default towards doing it. If it doesn't break the law, if it doesn't hurt other people or ourselves, and if it's not morally questionable, do it. And see what happens. I mean, that's the greatest thing about micro-experimentation. We talk about it all the time with learning teams. We talk about it with work groups. We talk about it with with corrective actions. We talk about it with managing controls. We micro-experiment. We try ideas, and if they work, we keep them, and if they don't, we try new ideas. In essence, what we're doing is giving ourselves permission to micro-experiment our lives back into a place where maybe we come out of this better and smarter and wiser and more emotionally mature than when we went into it. Because we didn't have a lot of choice going into this. I told you, if you'd have told me two years ago... You're going to be trapped in your house for a whole year. You will not get on a plane for a whole year. I would have said, that's impossible. That's, that could never happen. But it did. And I didn't have any choice about it at all. None. But I do have some choices about how I move on from here. And how I take that last year, year and a half, and use it effectively to do something different with the life I have left. Because as my friend's dad says, when you say no to an opportunity as you get older, 
the opportunities are fewer and farther between. And so saying no to something, I mean, as dramatic as this sounds, and I'm never afraid to go into the drama side of the house, you may actually screw up your last time. That may be the last time you get asked. And so our challenge is to think about chronic exposure to risk, which I would suggest you've done a lot, so that's good. And then to think about how we can deliberately and strategically create a path that moves us from where we are to where we need to go through micro-experimentation by trying things and defaulting towards improvement, saying yes. And what happens is, is in theory, it should open up tons of new opportunities, new experiences, new chances to meet people, new chances to do things, and maybe, just maybe, a whole new world. That's pretty interesting. And that's really what happened to me in that year that I said yes. Because thinking back on it, I don't really know why I stopped. Well, I I think I stopped because the next year I had a different resolution because I was trying to do something interesting every year. I've since quit that because I can't think of stuff to do. But, But I think I probably didn't really stop. I still try to default to yes. But that year where I made it my goal, that sort of took a decision away from me. And, and we learned something in the middle of the pandemic and the crises that we've solved. And that is decision-making gets easier when uncertainty is higher because you got nothing to lose and you can always change your mind. So that's the midsummer podcast for the year 20. 21. I'm curious what you think. I really am kind of curious on two factors. I told you before we started this, I had some questions for you. One is, what do you think about what I just said? Not the biophysics, not the physiology. I mean, you can think about that as well. But this idea that this chronic exposure to risk has caused us to be somewhat sedimentary. A body at rest stays at rest. A body at motion stays in motion. And what do you think about the idea of a year of micro-experimentation, a year of saying yes, defaulting to yes? Because my guess is, and I've thought about this a bunch, the story my friend told was really um, touching. It was a really cool story. I mean, that part's amazing. I'm partially, I think, because I did a big adventure with my parents this this year too, and so I, I understand that completely. And partially because to be associated the fact that he thought of me when his dad said that is really awesome to me. I mean, it's it's a huge responsibility and I feel really amazed by it. But I think really the idea that opportunity may not raise its head again and saying no may actually limit your ability to do stuff is a pretty profound motivation if you think about it. And the idea that we can actually default towards improvement, which is something we talk about, geez, since this podcast started, we've been talking about this. That, that's not even new. That's a really interesting idea. And so my whole goal of this podcast was just that, to tell you that story and to talk about sort of life's fleeting moments and the fact that it's zooming by and the fact that 
we've got some control over what happens next. We did not have a lot of control over what happened earlier. I will grant you that. But now we can actually move forward. And that, I think, is a powerful message for at least me to think and say on the podcast. And I'm hoping it's a good message for you as well. I hope it helps anyway. I mean, that's always my goal. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the community. Tell your friends. Share this podcast. Share them all. More the merrier. Tell your friends. But uh, remember these things. Uh, Learn something new every single day. I certainly did the last couple weeks. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check into each other. Thanks, Helen. Helen checked on me just this week, and that was meaningful. And most importantly, well, maybe not most importantly, but it's the way we end, so let's say, and as often we end, (laughs) be safe.